Welcome to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds, a weekly podcast for pharmacists, physicians, physician assistants, and nurse practitioners who are interested in learning more about clinical pharmacology topics. I'm your host, Garrett Schramm, Director of Pharmacy Education and Academic Affairs at Mayo Clinic. To claim pharmacology CE credit or to get a copy of presentation slides, visit ce.mayo.edu slash pharmacy podcast. In the 2019 update to the guidelines for early management of patients with acute ischemic stroke, the American Heart and American Stroke Associations included tenecteplase as a thrombolytic option for reperfusion therapy. The recommendation suggests it is reasonable to use tenecteplase instead of alteplase, but despite this recommendation, alteplase largely remains the standard of care at most accredited stroke centers. Now, many providers are asking, should tenecteplase make its way to the front of the line? Here to answer that question and weigh in on Mayo Clinic's approach is one of our ED pharmacists, Dr. Cassie Schmidt. Stroke centers worldwide have been using one agent, alteplase, for the last two and a half decades in stroke. With advances in drug design, we now have a new agent called tenecteplase. Tenecteplase differs from alteplase in a few pharmacokinetic parameters, which leads us to question, is one agent better than the other? In today's presentation, we're gonna look at our two agents and talk about how they differ from each other. We're then gonna take a look at the literature and compare and contrast safety and efficacy outcomes between our two agents. And then at the end of this presentation, we'll have identified a role in therapy for tenecteplase in ischemic stroke. And as champions of evidence-based pharmacy practice, I'll be asking you guys if we're ready to make the switch to tenecteplase. I'd briefly like to talk a little bit about some stroke epidemiology. With cardiovascular disease being the leading cause of death in men and women in the United States, it's important to note that one in six of these deaths are due to stroke. This equates to a patient having a stroke about every 40 minutes in the United States. That means by the end of this presentation, one or two people would have had a stroke. Next, we have stroke classification. There are two major subsets of stroke, which indicate uh, ischemic stroke or hemorrhagic stroke. I wanna point this out because 87% of our stroke patients have an ischemic stroke. And these are our patients that are under consideration for thrombolysis. And with these thrombolytic agents, it's known that from the literature so far, we are not proving a mortality benefit by giving these agents. However, disability <laughs> is a serious outcome of stroke in patients. So with these agents that we give to increase reperfusion, we're aiming at decreasing their disability. So we have a number of major landmark trials in our stroke history. The first trial being the NINDS trial in 1995 was our initial alteplase study. This is what led to the FDA approval of alteplase for ischemic stroke in 1996. Then we have the ECAS-3 trial that extended the time window for alteplase administration to four and a half hours. Shortly after in 2010, we start seeing literature for tenecteplase. Well, I'm not gonna talk about these trials right here as we'll be talking about them in a minute. I just wanna point out how there was enough convincing evidence in these trials for the American Heart Association and American Stroke Association to add tenecteplase to the 2019 stroke guidelines as an alternative agent to alteplase as a thrombolytic option. So I briefly introduced our two thrombolytic agents. Our first one that we've been using for two and a half decades is alteplase. One notable thing about alteplase is that its half-life lasts only four and a half minutes. And because of this, it has to be administered by IV bolus followed by an infusion. 
On the other hand, tenecteplase has a terminal half-life of up to 120 minutes. This allows us to administer tenecteplase as an IV bolus infusion only. Another difference with tenecteplase is that it has a 15-fold increased specificity for clot-bound fibrin. This lowers the risk for extracranial bleeds. Next, we also have this um, increased resistance with tenecteplase to plasminogen activator inhibitor 1. This is an um, endogenous substance in patients that can rapidly inactivate our tissue plasminogen activators, which is something that Altaplace falls short with. And then as far as indications go, um, FDA-approved indications, Altaplace has indications for acute ischemic stroke, acute myocardial infarction, as well as pulmonary embolism. And with tenecteplase, so far, we have indications for acute myocardial infarction. And one last difference is that tenecteplase costs about $2,000 less per vial than Altaplace. So looking at our thrombolytic agents, uh, so tissue plasminogen activator is an endogenous substance that's released from the endothelium when it's damaged. So we replicate this tissue plasminogen activator with our Altaplace and our tenecteplase. These agents bind to clot-bound plasminogen, thereby converting it to plasmin, which is responsible for lysis of the clot. So now that we've reviewed our different, different agents, how they work, we're getting ready to get into the literature. Before I do that, I want to introduce you to our common neurologic outcomes that are gonna be reported in these studies. Our first being our NIH stroke scale score, which I'll hear and out refer to as our stroke scale. This is a score that measures 11 different uh, categories of functional and neurological outcomes and ranges from zero to 42. We see numbers less than or equal to eight indicating mild strokes, nine to 15 indicating moderate strokes, and 16 or greater indicating severe strokes. Now this is typically measured in the emergency department when the patient presents with stroke symptoms, and then again at 24 hours to measure this change in stroke score. Next, I have reperfusion, which is a CT imaging outcome. So patients that present with stroke will go to CT imaging where we'll get a measurement of um, the size of the infarct, which is the brain tissue surrounding the occlusion in the cerebral artery. And then surrounding the infarct, we also have another zone of tissue called the penumbra, which represents a potentially salvageable uh, tissue in the brain if we can get to reperfusion quick enough. So we'll measure reperfusion after thrombolysis, and we can also me measure the restoration of blood flow using the treatment and cerebral ischemia score. Now moving from our acute measurements, we also have a long-term measurement called the modified Rankine scale, or MRS. This is a score of zero to six that indicates increasing disability as your numbers get higher. We like to see numbers of zero to one following a stroke, as this indicates good uh, functional status in patients that are independent on their own. All right, time for our first Poll Everywhere question. If everyone can pull out their phone and go to pollev.com slash mayorx, or you can text mayorx to 22333 to join. And our first question is, tenecteplase differs from altaplase in which of the following properties? A, we have greater resistance to plasminogen activator inhibitor 1. B, we have decreased fibrin specificity. C, shorter half-life. Or D, increased cost. 
All right, so it looks like we have all of our um, Poll Everywhere answers in, so let's go ahead and go through the answers. So our first answer, greater resistance to plasminogen activator inhibitor 1 is true for tenecteplase. As I mentioned, tenecteplase has 80-fold increased resistance to inactivation by this protein. B, decreased fibrin specificity. So oh, tenecteplase actually does have an increased fibrin specificity, about 15-fold more so than ultiplase. C, shorter half-life. So again, this is an incorrect answer because tenecteplase has a half-life of up to 120 minutes. And this is what allows for us to give it IV bolus infusion. D, increased cost. This is uh, not the correct answer as tenecteplase is actually about $2,000 cheaper than ultiplase. All right, so now that we've reviewed our agents, it's time to go ahead and look at the literature and see how they compare head to head. Our first trial is the TNK S2B trial published in 2010. This was a phase two trial looking at determining what the most optimal dose of tenecteplase is. So here, patients were included if they had a minimum stroke scale score of at least one. And then they also had to present within three hours of symptom onset. Our primary outcome is major neurologic improvement as well as symptomatic intracerebral hemorrhage. And this is sort of a composite outcome for the study. Our base, base, baseline patient characteristics include um, patients being randomized to four different arms. So we have tenecteplase 0.1 milligram per kilo, tenecteplase 0.25 milligram per kilo, and tenecteplase 0.4 milligrams per kilo. And uh, we also had our standard of therapy, ultiplase 0.9 milligrams per kilo. One thing I do want to point out about our baseline patient characteristics is that uh, we had a little bit varying in the baseline stroke scale score from about 8 to 13, which can indicate uh, mild to moderate strokes. I also want to point out how the tenecteplase 0.4 milligram per kilo arm had the best looking patients at baseline. So these patients had all had a modified Rankin scale of 0, 1, or 2 prior to their stroke. And one last thing is that almost one-third of patients in the tenecteplase 0.25 milligram per kilo arm had a prior stroke. And we know from the literature that having a prior stroke can increase your risk for bleed with subsequent strokes. Looking at our primary efficacy outcomes, our first one being major neurologic improvement. This is defined as a change in the stroke scale score of at least eight points or more, or having a score of zero at 24 hours. Here we can see that the tenecteplase 0.25 milligram per kilo arm achieved major neurologic improvement in more than 35% of their patients at 24 hours. This was significantly better than the other tenecteplase arms as well as with ultiplase. Looking at our other um, part of the composite outcome is the rate of symptomatic intracerebral hemorrhages. Here they defined ICH as having uh, any bleed seen on CT imaging in the head as well as any clinical deterioration in neurologic status. Looking at tenecteplase 0.25 milligrams per kilo here, we see two bleeds and it increases slightly with a higher dose of tenecteplase to three. Looking at ultiplase, we see one bleed and then zero in the tenecteplase 0.1 group. One thing I do wanna point out here is that this study had an interesting trial design where uh, they weighed your, your good outcome of major neurologic improvement and the bad outcome of intracerebral hemorrhages and assigned each outcome a number of points. And then when, each, when one arm fell behind 
either of any of the other arms by more than eight points, that, that arm was eliminated from the study. So uh, you may have noticed on the previous slide that only 19 patients were enrolled to the tenecteplase 0.4 arm, and that's because they had three bleeds in 19 patients. So because of this, it fell behind the other arms, and it was deemed inferior to our other arms of the study. Just quickly looking at our long-term outcome from this trial. So we're looking at modified Rankin scale at 90 days. And so the light blue bars are showing a score of zero to one, again, indicating good neurologic status at uh, 90 days. And we can see that tenecteplase 0.25, again, had the highest percentage of patients achieving this MRS score. However, it didn't significantly differ between our other arms of the trial. Some conclusions we can draw from this trial is that uh, symptomatic intracerebral hemorrhages were greater in the tenecteplase 0.4 milligram per kilo group. Now, this was not the reason why this trial was stopped early. Uh, the trial was terminated early due to slow enrollment over the course of two years. And because of this, they were unable to transition into the phase three trial that they originally had planned, and they were unable to determine the superior dose of tenecteplase. So here we can say that tenecteplase with a dose of 0.25 milligrams per kilo is not inferior to alteplase. But one question we take away from the study is, what is our optimal dose of tenecteplase? This brings us to our next trial, the Australian TNK trial published in 2012. This was another phase two trial that included patients within six hours of stroke onset they also included patients that had a stroke scale of greater than four, a baseline MRS score of less than or equal to two. And one notable thing about this trial is that they used CT perfusion imaging at baseline to select for patients that were more likely to benefit from this outcome or from this intervention. Here, our co-primary outcomes at 24 hours were percent reperfusion as well as improvement in our stroke scale score at 24 hours. So here we're comparing the two doses of tenecteplase, 0.1 and 0.25 milligrams per kilo, to our alteplase standard of 0.9 milligrams per kilo. One thing I do want to point out here from our baseline patient characteristics is that the mean baseline score was about 14 to 15, indicating a moderate severity stroke. So looking at our primary efficacy outcomes of reperfusion at 24 hours, uh, this is um, this is a measurement done by CT imaging. So they were measuring the size of the infarct prior to thrombolysis. And then again, they measured the size of the infarct 24 hours after thrombolysis. And here we can see that the tenecteplase 0.25 milligram per kilo arm achieved nearly 90% reperfusion at 24 hours. This was significantly better than alteplase, which only achieved reperfusion by about 55%. Now, if we have greater reperfusion with tenecteplase, at 24 hours, we should also see a change in our stroke scale. So here, tenecteplase 0.25 milligrams per kilo had the biggest change in our stroke scale at 24 hours. This number was a decrease in our stroke scale by about 10 points. So this means that a patient who presents with a stroke of 14 would then have a stroke scale score of about four at 24 hours. Compared to alteplase, this is a big difference as uh, the average stroke scale score that changed was only by about three points. Now, correlating this again to our long-term outcomes, looking at modified Rankin scale at 90 days, 
We can see that tenecteplase had the highest proportion of patients in the 0.25 milligram per kilo arm that achieved their MRS of 0 to 1 at 90 days. And again, this was statistically significant when compared to alteplase. Transitioning into our safety outcomes, we have, again, symptomatic intracerebral hemorrhages, which was defined as any bleed seen on CT imaging with a change in our stroke scale score of about four points. So these were patients that worsened in their stroke scale score. Now this study does report uh, symptomatic intracerebral hemorrhages by the pooled um, tenecteplase groups. So we have 50 patients in this arm, and of the 50 patients, we saw two bleeds in tenecteplase. And then comparing that to our alteplase group of 25 patients, we see three bleeds with alteplase. And while these were numerically different, they were not statistically different. I do have some other um, safety outcomes listed here, but as these trials were not powered for mortality, um, I'm going to just leave these up here for your information and will not be covering them uh, throughout this presentation. All right, so concluding this trial, we can see that our imaging and our clinical outcomes were significant. And we could see this trend between our different outcomes showing more efficacy with tenecteplase 0.25 milligrams per kilo. One limitation to this trial is that it did have a limited external validity because as I mentioned, they used CT imaging to select for patients that were more likely to benefit from this intervention. So our overall conclusion here is that tenecteplase 0.25 milligrams per kilo had the greatest rate of reperfusion and improvement in our stroke scale score at 24 hours. This study leaves us with the question of, is this outcome reproducible in a more general population if we remove that CT imaging uh, requirement to be a part of the study? All right, it's time for our next Poll Everywhere question. Our question is, what is the primary safety outcome reported in studies for thrombolysis in acute ischemic stroke? A, we have hypertension. B, we have seizure. C, hemorrhagic conversion. Or D, thromboembolism. All right, looks to be about what we had on the previous question. All right, so our question is, what is the primary safety outcome reported in studies for thrombolysis in acute ischemic stroke? Our first answer choice is hypertension, which is not the correct answer. While we do closely monitor blood pressure following a stroke, it's not because of the agent, but because we're worried about risk for hemorrhagic conversion. So we monitor blood pressure, blood pressure very closely. B, seizure. This is definitely a possibility following stroke as uh, patients can progress um, and worsen and deteriorate causing a seizure. But again, this usually isn't related to the thrombolytic agent itself. C is the correct answer, hemorrhagic conversion. When patients have an ischemic stroke, they are all, always at risk for having a hemorrhagic conversion, whether or not they receive thrombolytic agents. But of course, this agent, the thrombolytic agents, do increase their risk for hemorrhagic conversion from ischemic to hemorrhagic stroke. We know from the NINDS trial that this risk is about 6 to 7% with alteplase, and therefore, we're closely monitoring it in all of our tenecteplase studies. And then lastly, D, thromboembolism. While it is possible to have a paradoxical uh, thromboembolic event using a thrombolytic agent, that is very rare and not uh, reported in the, these studies. All right, so moving on into our next trial, we have the ATTEST trial published in 2015 
and this is another phase two study. They included patients that had a stroke scale score of zero or greater, or greater than zero, that presented within an onset of symptoms within four and a half hours, and did not exclude patients that had a prior history of stroke. Here, our primary outcome is another imaging outcome looking at percent penumbra salvaged at 24 to 48 hours after thrombolysis. Our two arms of the study were tenecteplase 0.25 milligrams per kilo compared to altoplase 0.9 milligrams per kilo. Our baseline stroke scale score here is about 11 to 12, and again, indicating a moderate severity stroke. So for our primary efficacy outcome, looking at imaging, we have the percent penumbra salvaged. So this is based on uh, our initial CT imaging prior to thrombolysis, where they measured the size of the penumbra or the tissue that um, could potentially be salvaged, and then measured it again 24 to 48 hours after thrombolysis. And here we see no difference between tenecteplase and altoplase, as 68% or as there was a percent penumbra salvage of 68% in both groups. We also have another um, reperfusion outcome considered uh, successful recanalization. This is measured by CT angiography, looking at a treatment in cerebral ischemia score of 2B to 3. And here we can see that altoplase did slightly better than tenecteplase by about 8%. However, uh, this is not statistically significant and can be due to differences in baseline patient characteristics. So when we look at our um, clinical outcome of early neurologic improvement, which is similar to our major neurologic improvement, and that it's a change in our stroke scale score of eight or more points at 24 hours, we see that tenecteplase had more patients achieving early neurologic improvement. So about 40% of patients had a change in their stroke scale score of eight or more points compared to about 25% in the altoplase group. So this is a 15% difference between our two thrombolytic agents. Now relating this to our long-term outcomes, uh, we can see we have the distribution of modified Rankin scale at 90 days. Here, tenecteplase and altoplase really didn't differ from each other, as tenecteplase had 28% of their patients with an MRS of 0 to 1, and altoplase had 20% having an MRS of 0 to 1. Lastly, re relating this back to our safety outcomes of symptomatic intracerebral hemorrhage, which again is defined as any bleed seen on CT imaging with any change in the stroke scale score of at least four points. Here we can see that tenecteplase had three bleeds compared to four bleeds in the altoplase group. So while these are um, slightly different, this is not statistically significant between agents. Some conclusions we can draw from this trial. Uh, I would say that one strength of this trial is that they looked at our short-term outcomes of reperfusion and change in neurologic function at 24 hours, and they removed that baseline CT imaging criteria to enroll patients in the study thereby increasing their external validity of the trial. One thing we can conclude is that efficacy and safety outcomes were similar between tenecteplase and altoplase in this study. The next question we have to bring us into our next trial is what about using tenecteplase in patients as bridging therapy to thrombectomy? You might have noticed on our initial uh, stroke history slide, I had the Mr. Clean trial from 2015 which showed that patients that went to thrombectomy had better outcomes at 90 days. Here at Mayo Clinic, patients are considered for thrombectomy if they have a large um, artery occlusion and a stroke scale score of six or greater. 
And that's just something I want you to keep in mind as we begin to talk about thrombectomy. This next trial is our NORTEST trial, which was published in 2017. This is our first phase three trial looking at tenecteplase. And patients were considered eligible for thrombolysis in this trial if they had any stroke scale score greater than zero, if they presented within four and a half hours of symptom onset, and they were not excluded if they had a history of prior strokes. Here, our primary outcome is modified Rankin scale of zero to one at 90 days. Now, the patients in this trial that received thrombolytic agents were also eligible to go to thrombectomy. Being our first phase three trial, this uh, study enrolled about 550 patients in each arm and again looked at tenecteplase. Here, they used the 0.4 milligram per kilo dose. So if you're like me, you're probably wondering, well, where did the 0.4 come from? Because I thought the first study said that it was inferior due to the risk for bleed. Well, the researchers in this trial felt that that wasn't uh, sufficient data to completely rule out this dose and decided to take another look at tenecteplase 0.4. So we're comparing this to Altaplace, and patients in this study had a mean uh, stroke scale score of about five to six, indicating very mild strokes in these patients. For a primary outcome of modified Rankin scale of zero to one at 90 days, we can see no difference between tenecteplase and Altaplace. I also included here their baseline proportion of patients that had a modified Rankin scale of zero to one. So you can see that their baseline MRS also didn't differ from each other. And when looking at the distribution of modified Rankin scale, we can see that tenecteplase did have more patients in the zero portion of that zero to one when compared to altaplase. Now, if you ask me, I would want to be a patient in the zero portion of that zero to one. Looking at our secondary outcomes, we again have major clinical improvement where here in this study, their definition was slightly different when uh, patients were considered to have major clinical improvement if they had a change in their stroke scale score of four points or more. Our previous studies had looked at eight points or more. And here we see tenecteplase and altaplase, again, really didn't differ from each other as they both had around 40% major clinical improvement at 24 hours. And then looking at our safety outcomes of symptomatic intracerebral hemorrhage, we see that there were 15 bleeds in the 549 patients in tenecteplase compared to 13 bleeds in the 551 patients in the Altaplace arm. Again, these, didn't, um, these were not statistically different from each other. So some strengths of this trial is that this was our first phase three trial um, that did enroll a larger sample size using Tenecteplace and Altaplace. However, there are some notable limitations to this trial that I wanna point out. So these patients were eligible for both thrombolysis and thrombectomy, however, if our criteria to go to thrombectomy is a six or higher on our stroke scale, and these patients had an average stroke scale score of four, these were patients that had really mild strokes. Another thing that can, can contribute to our um, lack of difference in our outcomes is that about 20% of these patients enrolled in the study actually had stroke mimics where there was no occlusion seen on CT imaging, but they still received their thrombolytic agent anyways. One other major limitation of this trial is that these patients were eligible for thrombectomy, but the study doesn't report the proportion of patients in either arm that actually did get thrombectomy. This is important because it really um, kind of muddies the picture when we're looking at a 90-day long-term outcome, and it's hard to relate whether that outcome is because of our thrombolytic intervention or our thrombectomy intervention. 
So from this trial, we can take away that tenecteplase had similar safety and efficacy outcomes when compared to alteplase in minor strokes. This leaves us with the question of, what about using tenecteplase before thrombectomy in patients with more severe strokes? I had the Extend IA trial next, uh, specifically with tenecteplase, and this was published in 2018 and was another phase three trial. Patients here were enrolled, uh, that were enrolled were eligible for thrombolysis as well as thrombectomy. And patients were included if they had a stroke scale score greater than zero, if they had an onset within four and a half hours, and if they had a large vessel occlusion. So this is similar to our second study where they pre-selected patients based on a CT imaging. Our primary outcome here is reperfusion at approximately one hour after thrombolysis. So here, we're back to the tenecteplase 0.25 milligram per kilo dose and comparing it to alteplase 0.9 milligrams per kilo. Our median stroke scale score is 17, indicating patients that have severe strokes. Our primary outcome of reperfusion at one hour was defined as a return of blood flow of greater than 50% as measured by our treatment in cerebral ischemia score of 2B or 3, seen on CT angiography. Patients were also considered to have reperfusion if there was lack of a retrievable thrombus following thrombolysis. So looking at the data, we can see that tenecteplase 0.25 milligrams per kilo had reperfusion of about 22% prior to thrombectomy. This was significant from alteplase in that those patients only had reperfusion uh, after thrombolysis of about 10%. So it's possible that 12% of these patients didn't no longer have the need to go to thrombectomy after using tenecteplase. Looking at our secondary outcome of modified Rankin scale at 90 days, we can see that tenecteplase and alteplase have similar proportions of patients achieving that zero to one independent functional status. And again, this doesn't differ very much in our zero to two group. Now relating this to our safety outcomes, we actually see here the lowest number of bleeds we've seen in any of the other trials. There was one symptomatic intracerebral hemorrhage in the tenecteplase arm and only one ICH in the alteplase arm as well. So essentially their safety outcomes here are equal. Some strengths we can draw from this trial is that um, they, their baseline characteristics were well balanced between the two arms of the study. And I also liked that they me measured reperfusion after the thrombolytic agent before thrombectomy. So we can kind of see, get a better look at what outcomes um, were best impacted by our intervention. And then another li limitation of the study is that um, about 50% of the way through the study, they actually removed that initial um, CT imaging criteria to in increase inclusion of patients. So while not all the patients were selected based on their um, location and size of occlusion, there, the initial proportion of patients were, which limits our external validity slightly. Our conclusion here is that uh, we saw higher rates of reperfusion with 0.25 milligrams per kilo of tenecteplase when compared to alteplase. And this leaves us with the next question of, does 0.4 milligrams per kilo of tenecteplase have higher rates of reperfusion before thrombectomy? Now there is one more trial, the Extend IA TNK part two study. And due to time, I'm not gonna be able to cover that today, but I do just have a couple of highlights for you. 
This study compared tenecteplase 0.25 milligrams per kilo to the 0.4 milligrams per kilo and saw no difference in the rates of reperfusion before thrombectomy. However, the tenecteplase 0.4 arm did see a slightly increased number of bleeds compared to the lower dose of tenecteplase. One thing the study does report, though, is that four of the seven patients in the 0.4 arm that had an intracerebral hemorrhage were actually had the hemorrhage because of complications during thrombectomy where their cerebral artery was pierced by the thrombectomy wire. So now that we've covered um, most of the published studies looking at tenecteplase versus alteplase, I quickly want to introduce you to kind of some upcoming studies that we have to think about. Our first one being the ATTEST-2 trial, which is a secondary study to our original ATTEST uh, study. This is, again, comparing tenecteplase 0.25 to alteplase. And this is a study that's looking at our 90-day outcomes because our original study looked at reperfusion. Next, we have the NORTEST study, which is similarly in design to our original NORTEST study and, again, is looking at modified Rankin scale at 90 days when our original study was looking at reperfusion. We also have the TASTE-A trial, which is looking at um, tenecteplase 0.25 versus alteplase. And these are actually patients receiving thrombolytic agents in mobile stroke units um, or ambulances that have CT imaging capabilities in them. So taking the CT and the agent to the patient. We also have a, the TWIST study, which is looking at tenecteplase versus alteplase in patients with wake-up stroke. All right, so now that we've covered uh, all of the literature of tenecteplase versus alteplase, I think it's time that we can identify the role of tenecteplase in ischemic stroke thrombolysis. But before we do that, I know I went through a lot of uh, literature and a lot of different outcomes, so here I just want to briefly go through our summary of outcomes. Our first three studies compared um, tenecteplase to alteplase at varying doses of tenecteplase. Here we have um, positive outcomes indicated by the green arrow, as well as um, negative outcomes indicated by a red arrow, and really no difference in the outcome indicated by our yellow equals sign. Our first study showed good clinical outcomes with the tenecteplase 0.25 uh, milligram per kilo arm, but an increase in bleeds with the higher dose of tenecteplase. Our second study saw higher rates of reperfusion, greater change in the stroke scale score at 24 hours, and a lower incidence of intracerebral hemorrhages with the tenecteplase 0.25 milligram per kilo arm. Our third trial here, we have the ATTEST trial, which compared tenecteplase to alteplase and saw no difference in the percent of penumbra salvaged between the two arms, but did show that tenecteplase had a greater uh, rate of major neurologic improvement and a lower rate of symptomatic intracerebral hemorrhages. And looking at our studies that included thrombectomy, we really saw no difference in outcomes with our NORTEST trial between tenecteplase 0.4 and alteplase. Our EXTEND IA trial again showed increased uh, rates of reperfusion with the 0.25 milligram per kilo dose of tenecteplase, but showed no difference in modified Rankin scale at 90 days, as well as no difference in the rate of symptomatic ICH. Our last trial that I um, briefly just gave you highlights on, the EXTEND IA TNK2 study, showed no difference in the rates of reperfusion between tenecteplase 0.4 and tenecteplase 0.25, no difference in modified Rankin scale at 90 days, and an increased risk of symptomatic ICH. And now it's time for our last assessment question here. JB is a 75-year-old male with a last known normal of three hours ago. 
CT imaging confirms he is a candidate for thrombolysis, and he does not have any contraindications to these agents. Which regimen would you recommend? A is Altaplace 0.9 milligrams per kilo IV push. B is Altaplace 0.9 milligrams per kilo with 10% given IV push, followed by 90% IV piggyback, or Tenecteplase 0.4 milligrams per kilo given IV push. And D, lastly, we have Tenecteplase 0.25 milligrams per kilo IV push. All right, so going through the answers, I'm happy to see that no one chose A, Altaplace 0.9 milligrams per kilo IV push, as this is not how Altaplace is administered. Looking at B, we have the standard dose of Altaplace, 0.9 milligrams per kilo, given as a 10% IV push and then a 90% IV piggyback. So you see here that 4% of people that responded still don't feel comfortable enough to make the switch to Tenecteplase. Looking at answer choice C, Tenecteplase, 0.4 milligrams per kilo IV push, I would say that I don't disagree with you, but I would also mention that I don't think the higher dose of Tenecteplase provided us with any added benefit over the 0.25 milligram per kilo dose of Tenecteplase. In D, Tenecteplase, 0.25 milligrams per kilo. I'm happy to see that most of you uh, chose this answer, as this is what I would choose myself. So some final recommendations that I have for you. Tenecteplase has demonstrated efficacy and safety in acute ischemic stroke comparable to Altaplase. I think that Tenecteplase should replace Altaplase as the standard of therapy for acute ischemic stroke. And we should be using the 0.25 milligram per kilo dose of Tenecteplase at a max of 25 milligrams, uh, as all of our stroke literature caps the weight at 100 kilos. And I think this should be the dose used regardless of the patient's plans to go to thrombectomy or not. I'm happy to share with you that the work, uh, that the Mayo Clinic Stroke Workgroup has also been having these same conversations, and we're planning to begin utilizing Tenecteplase at the 0.25 per 0.25 milligram per kilo dose for acute ischemic stroke starting in 2021. Before I end this presentation today, I just have a couple of remaining questions. So our, our studies so far have shown that Tenecteplase is not inferior to Altaplase, but we haven't had a trial powered high enough to see if Tenecteplase is actually superior over Altaplase. I'm also wondering, is there an ideal candidate for patients um, ideal candidate for thrombolysis with tenecteplase, as it seems like some of our studies uh, show greater reperfusion with tenecteplase in patients that had uh, more severe strokes. And then lastly, um, is modified Rankin scale an ideal primary outcome at 90 days? Um, there are a lot of things that go into stroke rehabilitation. Um, so a lot of rehab patients can have. Uh, also, when patients have a thrombectomy, I mentioned that it's hard to determine if that difference is related to the thrombolytic agent or if that difference is related to our thrombectomy intervention. So I think there's still a lot of um, unanswered questions that we can hopefully answer with our upcoming literature. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for listening to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds. Join us weekly for more exciting clinical pharmacology topics.